Hi, welcome to Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the beautiful YouTube show where me, Chris Dyer, interviews his beautiful artist friends. <laughs> it's super fun. I'm having a blast at least, and I hope you, you too. Well, today I'm interviewing an old friend of mine, Adam Millward, that I must know for over 10 years. Uh, when I met him at the beginning, he wasn't even an artist, and now he is a, a big artist that works really hard at what he does. And uh, we're going to learn all about him. So I hope you enjoy. How are you doing, Adam? I'm good, except for the fact you just called me old in your introduction. No, <laughs> not an old friend. We got an old friend. I just turned 40 a couple of days ago. Sorry. Woo, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, happy birthday, man. I'm 41, and I'm feeling better than ever. So let's, yeah. not, let's not let uh, numbers <laughs> get in the way of the youth that is our essence. Absolutely. 40 is way better than 80, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I think 40s is great. You know, it's like you're crystallizing more and more into your being, yet your body is still strong enough and healthy enough. So I think that's that's good. So let's start with I want to start this interview with this general question is like, what are you doing out here in the outside? Usually I do these shows in, in the studios of my friends. How come we're out here uh, in the great out Canadian outdoors? Well, we're here in the great Canadian outdoors because uh, the place I live, I rent uh, from parents of a good friend of mine. We have the same ventilating system. They're uh, over 70 and have lung issues and they have their 94-year-old grandmother living here with them. So I'd rather be safe than sorry 100%. Right, because we're COVID times, it's actually a red level. Red zone, red yeah, zone we're in a red zone here, so yeah. just to be safe, I'd really rather be safe than sorry. I would never forgive myself if I brought COVID and in, in my friend's parents. Right, no doubt. We gotta like problems. make sure we don't put any of at risk. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure it's also like a factor in your living environment that it's like kind of like blocking you from, you know, yeah, it is right now. You know, I'm looking for a place to, to move to, but uh, slow and steady. Yeah. It'll come when it comes. Nice. Well, I wish you a, a great new studio where you can, you know, do everything you want without having to take into account your neighbors and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. May we all be liberated more and more with time. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's start at the beginning, you know. As I said, we have an old friendship. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to let you tell the story of how we met it's a beautiful story so. well look the story of how i met chris dyer uh i read about him in the gazette which is the main montreal english newspaper back in the day when people still read newspapers and uh there was one particular board lying in on the ground in the picture and i don't know why i just loved it i went to chris's website and that was back in the day when they had hit counters on it. And I think there was like 5,308 hits on his website or something back in those days. And, um, you know, I never really bought art. I never really was interested in art until I read about Chris in this newspaper. I was pretty terrified to reach out to him. I see him <laughs> in the Gazette. I think he's this big famous character and I'm nervous about asking him. I, you know, I don't know if uh, he sells his art or what. But uh, eventually I got the courage to reach out to him and ask him if I could buy a couple of his paintings. And uh, he said yes. So we ended up uh, meeting each other a bunch of times to exchange money and pay off in payments and usually ended up with a case of beer. <laughs> Dude, I would get so drunk and wasted every time you would come. So Adam would come. After work, uh, he worked at a calling center at the time. So he would come with a suit and he'd come with a 2-4 of beer. Not even a 12, a 2-4, meaning that each one of us are going to drink 12 beers. Weed and sometimes cocaine. And sometimes his guitar. So once I'm like drunk, stoned and coked out, he's playing guitar for me. <laughs> <laughs> to try to like get me in, in his own vibes that he's uh, trying to share with me. 
And I enjoyed it, but at the same time, every time he'd left, I'd be like, oh my God, this is intense every time this guy comes over. He's, but for he's, he's not telling a little part of the story. More than once, I brought the 2-4, and we finished it, and he's like, it's not 11, go get another 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you get me going, you know, once I get drunk, I just want more. But me then, too. That's why I stopped drinking eight and a half years ago. <laughs> nice, man. Uh, we'll get into into that. But like, yeah, I'd, but by the time <laughs> you'd leave, I'd, I'd, I'd sometimes like pass out on my couch and puke. It, it was a disaster. <laughs> but at the time, you were like my only steady client. Uh, <laughs> so selling like a thousand dollars of art a month for me, like carried me through my welfare years, which was like. Well, I'll be thing. honest. That's a big like that's a big reason why I supported you because you were different from anybody I'd ever met before um, and I really enjoyed following your journey you shared it in your monthly emails and stuff like that you know like I'd buy a painting from you and you'd tell me nice now I'm gonna pay my credit card off and go to Thailand and like I'd see you in Thailand and then I'd see you come back from Thailand and all the experiences you had there would work its way into your art and I felt like I was part of that I really did. I felt like I helped you uh, manifest that situation where you absorbed all this inspiration. So I kind of felt like I wasn't an artist and I was kind of jealous. Like I never thought of myself as an artist. I couldn't draw. I remember in elementary school, like I literally got kicked out of art class on purpose because I was jealous of all the kids who could draw Wolverine and Spider-Man and Venom. And my parents didn't let me read comic books. They only let me read books that had no pictures after I was in like grade two or whatever. So I didn't, I didn't have these characters at home to trace in my book. I remember one time somebody gave me a comic and I kept it under my mattress like a porno when I was like 11. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, like I didn't think of myself as an artist and being able to help an artist manifest these things felt like that was the way I could help create something. Right, in a way, like, the painting wouldn't be in the same if you wouldn't have funded my life to some degree for me than to have a richer life, which then makes a richer painting. Mm -hmm. Right, awesome. So those days when you were uh, supporting me as a client, you were, uh, you were an alcoholic, right? I'm still an alcoholic. You still are, but you haven't drunk in eight years. Yes. What, what's the difference between an alcoholic that drinks and an alcoholic that doesn't drink? Well, an alcoholic, like, alcoholism is a disease. A lot of people don't agree with that, but it is. Once I start drinking, I have cravings that I cannot fight off. So whether I'm sober for eight years, if I have one beer now, I'll be just like I was when I was hanging out with Chris. I'll be drinking a 24, and I'll probably be trying to find Coke. So I know that that's where one beer will lead me. If I don't have that one beer, I won't crave the second and the third and the 24th one. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm an alcoholic. What made you change? Like, what was that wall that you hit? I think you, you hit it in Costa Rica when you were there working for... Yeah, I got year. married. And, um, <laughs> Marriage did it. <laughs> well, yes and no. I got married and uh, I felt in my case that that was like time to grow up and stop, you know, partying like a crazy person. Uh, unfortunately, my ex-wife didn't feel the same, and when I was sober and she wasn't, uh, it quickly became evident that uh, that wasn't going to work, and uh, we had to split up. I had to come back to Canada, and here we are. You were in Costa Rica <laughs> for how long? I was there for five years. I started years. painting when I lived in Costa Rica, actually. Okay. So you, you went way down the cocaine ton rabbit hole in Costa Rica because it was cheaper. Yeah. And at one point you said, like... I fucking can't live this life anymore. Like, what was that, that factor? It's just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, what, what it was wasn't that? really a, I can't do this anymore. Well, actually, it sort of was. I lost my job in Costa Rica. I'd worked for a company for like 10 years, and I made a lot of money. And then the company closed. And because I wasn't a resident yet in Costa Rica, Costa Rican companies weren't really allowed to hire me. So I went from, you know, a $60,000, $80,000 a year job to, you know, a eight thousand dollar a year job and um and i think that was a big reason i didn't have the funds to continue living that way um so yeah that's a big part of it and uh when did art come in like right after you sobered up 
No, it, I painted my first painting really, really drunk. Um, <laughs> I bought the canvas, like I was unemployed, you know, like I didn't have a lot of money. So I bought a cheap shitty canvas and black and white paint and that was it. And then my wife gave me shit for spending the $15 that I spent on it because we were poor. But uh, I needed something for my sanity. And um, I looked at the paintings and I looked at Chris Dyer's art hanging on my wall. And I'm like, I can't paint. And I, I had no faith that I would be able to create anything to but I needed to get smashed before I got the courage to put the brush on the canvas with some paint on it and um, I hope we'll flick up that first painting that I did that you filmed before and um... so tell me about becoming an artist slowly getting into it and then well, turning into like a path that now you're like a full-on artist well when I made my first painting uh, <laughs> the instant I touched the brush to the canvas, like the brush spread out and I was all like, no, like my little nice line became a big blob and I was like not happy. Um, so I decided that I wanted to do the second painting sober and I did and I liked it and it gave me a sense of satisfaction that I never really got from anything else in my life. And... Um, you know, I painted a few more. I, I, I didn't paint really drunk again very often, maybe once or twice. But uh, I started to just, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just like a spiritual experience, being able to create something and like start something and finish it, which was something I usually didn't do unless it was drugs or alcohol. <laughs> but like just building confidence and learning a new way to live you know I replaced my alcohol and coke and all that shit with with art and it was about seven months after I painted my first painting that I decided to get sober for all those other reasons too but you know the art I wouldn't say the art was the reason I got sober but it's the reason I stayed sober it helped you transfer into a new path of your life what age were you at the time when you 31 art? I was 31 when I painted my first painting Did so you if you're under 31 and you're watching this like you got time <laughs> yeah totally I think Robert Venosa started painting in his late 40s and stuff you know and he oh been, shit I didn't know that yeah and Randall Roberts I think uh, started around yeah I think Randall was pretty much the same age as myself yeah so never too late to start expressing yourself and finding art as a way to you know find or whatever your, else right? you want to do you know right. if you're watching this and you're like I want to learn how to play guitar I want to learn how to snowboard go fucking do it yeah totally follow <laughs> your your bliss your expression yeah. um so tell me, how's it, how's it been to, to be an artist, both as somebody who's channeling uh, magic from another dimension, but also as a career? Like, uh, did uh, the universe give you some momentum at the beginning and help you on your path to make yeah, that something? Yeah, I mean, I think what really turned the page for me that made me decide that I really wanted to turn it into a career was I went to Mexico for Christmas in 2012. I was actually in Tulum on December 21st, 2012, but mm -hmm. like at the archaeological site and I could hear the rave that Alex Gray was painting at. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, long story short, when I flew back from Mexico, uh, the president of Costa Rica was on the plane with me and I couldn't believe it. I woke up that morning with such an intense feeling that's never happened to me before or since. It was a really specific intuition to put a small painting in my carry-on luggage to give to somebody on the plane to start 2013 with good luck. So I'm sitting there at the airport, you know, waiting to board, and all of a sudden I see security guards and the president of Costa Rica getting on the same plane I'm about to get on. So mm -hmm. I knew she was going to be sitting in first class and that I'd have to walk past her to get to my seat. So when I did, I stopped and I gave her the painting. Nice. And she thanked me and, you know, people were boarding, so we didn't have a long conversation. You got conversation. a picture, though, huh? Yeah. That's cool. Well, I got the picture because once we were all seated and the plane took off, um, one of her, like, the stewardess up in first class came and said, look, she wants to meet you. Oh, wow. So I went up and met her, and that's when I got the picture. She actually... Uh, <laughs> She actually had her son take it because uh, I was with my mother-in-law and my wife at the time and um, my mother-in-law was going to take it and then she's like, don't be silly, don't be silly, get in the picture. And here, don't be rude, take a picture of these nice people. So uh -huh. she had her son take a picture and uh, when I posted that on social media, that was kind of when people started to want to buy my art. Right, like uh, cool by association, I guess, but uh, it, it was a great omen. 
Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, like waking up with that super specific feeling to put a painting in my luggage to mm-hmm. give to somebody on the plane, and then the president of Costa Rica gets on the plane. Like that didn't happen by accident. That oh. was like preordained. You follow your intuition, and mm-hmm. spirit carried you through to say, like, yes, this is something that could like be as big as you dream it to be. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, uh, how's it been? Um, having a career in art. Like, I know there's ups and downs for all of us. There's good times, there's sales, there's no sales. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. Uh, I have mixed feelings about it right now. Um, like, for a while, it was fucking awesome, man. Facebook was, like, just bumping, you know. Thousands of people were seeing my art. I was getting three to 5,000 hits to my website every week. I couldn't keep things in stock. I, w- I had an eight, make- eight-month waiting list for custom art. And you start making, like, all these products. So, like, you got, like, a shitload of products. Yeah, I started too. making stickers. I turned, like, $400 that I invested into stickers into $6,000. And, like, then I went and invested into silk scarves and wall hangings and, you know, other You got things. shoes. Yeah, the you, shoes were way later. Those are more, much more recent. And you got uh, embroidered hoodies and yeah, T-shirts. Yeah, a your lot brand. of merch. I got your brand's called Nexus, right? Nexus, yeah. Yeah. So, like, the story of the Nexus is because uh, my original art style is mandalas. That's what I started with. Now I'm doing some other stuff. But uh, they all start with a dot in the middle, like the Nexus point. But then after that, the possibilities are infinite. So my Nexus logo is, like, the word Nexus with infinity symbol around it i don't know if you see that well on the camera there but uh Mm -hmm. i'm sure ben can edit something nice in there (laughs) (laughs) nice so 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 you said you've had mixed emotions the beginning yeah it it was was blowing up it was amazing it was super fun and then like uh you know the algorithm started changing and i found myself fighting against ai and then it took a lot of the fun away because it wasn't natural sharing anymore. It was like trying to write to to beat algorithms. Like I was trying to beat algorithms and I wasn't really being natural anymore. And um, it took a lot of the fun away out of it for me, seriously. It got very frustrating. My income dropped drastically. You know, mm. like What a I- bummer <laughs> that the social media, they gave us this gift for artists for us to share our our expressions from our heart, our passion, make a little bit of a business, live in the abundance that we learn. And then they're like, oh, no, we're just going to change the algorithm so we make more money. And they fuck us all up. Yeah, (laughs) basically what happened was I invested about $15,000 in products one summer and for Christmas. And that's the year they changed the algorithm. So I had all this merch that I just invested a ton of money into that I was expecting to make money on the Christmas season to carry me through the next year. I got banned from sharing my art into groups. I got banned from sharing my art in my own group on Facebook what? for right before Christmas. Oh, no. So, like... What's, what's up with this, Facebook? Come yeah, on. It, it, it just really... Come on. It felt like I got kicked in the nuts over and over and over again by Facebook. And it honestly took a lot of the fun out of it for me. It's not fun to get kicked in the nuts in your business. And, um, no, it's not. Nuts are sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then you joined a bunch of other social medias to try to find your other, you know. Yeah, just, just to try and get in front of more people. And then it became like a lot of work because I had to be like, you know, active on nine different platforms. And like I wasn't, it just, it, it, I don't know how to even explain it. It became less social and more... Anxiety. A job. A job. <laughs> yeah, it became like a real job mm. where it was like the, less about the art and the actually developing relationships with people because people weren't seeing my stuff. There was no new relationships to be building. I wasn't allowed sharing my art in groups anymore, which was where I like, you know, got a large majority of my followers. Mm-hmm. But um, thankfully, by that time, I had already built up a relatively good reputation with the people who were following me and who were like collectors of my art so you know it didn't get to the point where i gave up but uh i i got to the point where i wanted to give up a few times but wanting to give up and actually giving up are not the same thing if you want to give up fine and get let that feeling hit you for a while but it'll go away and chiefs keep making more art right because what's the point of living an art like a lifetime like a path in your life that isn't what you really want to do even if you're good at it but if it's not what you want to do like 
what's the point of winning at something that you don't want to even play? But you, you now are bouncing back and forth between your previous job as a telemarketer or a calling center manager or something like that to kind of like finance the art side so it gives you more freedom to do it? Now? Yeah, I mean, I was really reluctant to admit defeat and raise the white flag and go back and get a job working for someone else. Um, I probably should have raised that white flag a year or two before I did because the last year or two of trying to work full-time as an artist were just super stressful. I wasn't making ends meet. I had to ask my landlords if they could wait a couple weeks for me to pay the rent sometimes. And like, that's just not the way I like to live. I was going into debt. I've lived my whole life without debt. Even when I was a cokehead, I never got into debt. So like when I was starting to build up debt for my business, I was like, this isn't working for me. Um, so I went and got a job. And uh, now I'm much more comfortable because I can pay my bills without stressing the fuck out. If I make a painting and it doesn't sell, I don't care. If I invest in products and I don't sell out, I don't care. Because that way I have merch for when I'm doing local market events. It looks good that I have a big booth full of shirts and clothes and stuff hanging. So if they don't sell online, it's not a big deal because I can move them other places. And plus they look good for like, oh, this guy has all these things with his art. He's professional. So, you know, it helps sell the original paintings to have all that stuff. And um, So having that yeah. side job, that normal person job, kind of gave you the freedom to do your art. Does it not take away too much tar time from your art career? It does take up a lot of time from my art career because working as a full-time artist is a full-time job. Like, it's not a part-time job. If you're an artist, you've got to be working probably more than full-time, like 60, 70, 80 hours a week. You've got to be painting, meeting people, doing interviews, talking to people, making connections, reaching out to galleries. It's like 10 jobs at one. Huh? Yeah, it's like 10 jobs at once. You got to be a marketer, an artist. You got to be like a social media guru and you got to like have a website. I built my own website. Plus you're learning as you go because you didn't go to school for this. You were self-taught other than the workshops you took at Cosm with me. But yeah. And Rosie. Yeah, and honestly at your workshops, I pretty much ignored almost everything you said and just did my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. Like you, you don't. I I feel like even if you didn't do things my way, I pushed you to do your things yeah, your way in a little, a little bit of a bit different way. More of a different way. There's and definitely inspiration I got from your uh, from your workshops. For right, sure. and it's it's sometimes it's nice to like get a set of rules and be okay knowing it and breaking them too, and be like, you know what. I still will do things. What I way. got most out of your workshops was the business side of it, to be honest, because I really developed my own style of art and painting and like that I already had when I was at your workshops. So right. I wasn't really there to learn how to paint. I was there to A, hang around with you, have fun, hopefully get introduced to Alex Gray. And uh, <laughs> well, but I don't want people to paint like me when it comes no, no, to my no, workshops. I uh, I'm just saying like, well, this is how I do it and grab whatever you want from what I'm telling you. But uh, it's more about like a vibe, those workshops, you know? It's like yeah, we all totally. Be, like, the, we, we build this momentum of like... It's the community them. and being with other like-minded people and learning and having, just having fun, just hanging around with cool people doing what you enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Like that's enough. And like I definitely learned a ton from your business talk in that workshop and about the history of skateboarding that I skateboard art that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So those parts were awesome. And, uh, and you did your first skateboards and you sold them or well, I yeah. got one of them as a gift. <laughs> yeah, I did my first skateboard at your workshop. And then when I shared it, I got like four commissions to do skateboards for other people. So that was awesome. Nice. So back to the, the dance between the normal job and the art job. Would you like to go back to being an artist 100% if you, know, you can figure out the equation that makes it that you can sustain yourself in that way? Or do you always want like a couple days a week where you do the calling center that pays for your bills and then the rest of the time you can have the freedom to do whatever the fuck you want? Of course I'd love to be back doing art full time, but I'm not willing to put myself in a situation where my income becomes a problem again. So, like, unless something in the social media world changes and algorithms become much more friendly, like, I'm, I'm cool being the Please, way I am Please, right Facebook. <laughs> Please, Instagram. Let us artists reach our followers. They followed us for a reason. Just let our medicine reach the patients who have subscribed to us. Mm -hmm. You know, money or no money. Let us flow. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it's, it, 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 like, I, I would pay Facebook if 
I was making enough money to pay them, but like they won't even let my own followers see my art. So why am I going to pay them to get new followers that then won't see my art? Right. It's almost like you're paying the enemy that fucked you over. It's yeah. like, ah, oh, they fucked me over and now I got to pay them so they don't fuck me over. It's like, ah. Oh. So like, yes, I would love to go back to doing art full time. I'm actually working on a few things that uh, hopefully will make that possible. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. You're going to have to wait and watch. Yeah, I, I know all about it. I'm excited for you guys to see uh, Adam's new tricks. Mm -hmm. um, but you were, you were mentioning before that you were doing some art mar market. So how is doing, say, like an art market locally here in the south shore of Montreal compared to being online? Like, uh, And you got a little bit of social anxiety on top of it. You had to get over that hurdle. Not so much. I used to sell chocolate bars in parking lots. The social anxiety isn't... Uh, it, it, it manifests itself in parties, not in markets. Okay. Like when I'm at a market, I'm there to sell my art. I'm there for a reason and I'm not around a bunch of intoxicated people. The social anxiety comes when I get invited to a party and like 80% of the people there have a beer in their hand. That's mm -hmm. where the social anxiety comes from. But um, like for me, selling at markets is super fun. A, I'm a sales guy in my day job, so I like making sales. And B, meeting people face-to-face -face in your community, there's no replacement for that. Like, online can't take that away from me. You know, Facebook algorithms can't stop me from setting up my tent at a little event that I get invited to. Mm -hmm. You know, fuck you, Facebook. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here. So those markets are super fun and super motivating. It sucks that we can't do any right now because of COVID. Right. I had actually been, like, signed up for quite a few things, and uh, they're not happening, so... Yeah, well, let's hope that this whole uh, COVID situation eases up and uh, some of us can return to our normal flow of work, you know, so we yeah. can keep on sharing our medicine, making this place, uh, this world a more beautiful place. Yeah. So tell me a little about your, your art in general. So you, you got a couple well, styles. Well, one thing like it, where I kind of segued into when I got this new job, like my mm -hmm. mandala paintings, they take a long time. Like, there's detail, there's a lot of process into them. So, like, a, even a smaller painting, like a 10 by 10 inch, can take me 15 to 30 hours. Um, so when I went back to working full time, I didn't have five or six hours a day that I could be sitting painting. Um, I only had two or three hours a day where I could be sitting there painting. So in order to keep making art on a regular basis, I developed a new style. Um, it's inspired by video games, my childhood in the 80s, which I know you're all about. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Like, uh, mainly the idea is I kind of imagine I'm creating a level for a video game where each level's different, but if you see, like, ten of them together, you'll know they're from the same game, mm -hmm. i.e. by the same artist. And those I can do a lot quicker. Even a big one only takes me 10 or 15 hours. So it allows me to keep making art regularly, to keep putting stuff out there so people can keep having something to go, oh, wow, Adam still exists. Right. And, and do people vibe with this new style that you've done? They didn't so much at first, but the more I make it, the more they are. Mm -hmm. like, You're finding your crowd for that second style you've created. Well, yes, and I'm also, like, over the years of, well, how can I put it? Like, I guess, um, I think as, as an art collector myself, when I'm exposed to art that is clearly like always the same style, I'm more interested to follow that artist than I am to follow an artist whose art is all over the place and changing here and there. Like there's not a constant flow through their work. Unity. I find it hard to be excited about an artist like that. Really? I'm the opposite. I find like... Yes, I like when an artist has like unity and consistency, but I also like it when an artist is like, fuck it, I'm going to do something totally different just because of how I feel. It's fine to do totally different every now and then, but like to develop collectors and people who want to buy your art on a regular basis, I think it's important to keep to at least like a certain vibe. It, it's smart for business. Yeah, it's smart you know? for business, but it's also fun. For me, it's fun. Like some people are like, oh, like why would you want to paint like the same thing over and over again? And I'm not. I'm finding new ways every time I create something to like keep that brand, that vibe, that that like right. look. It's so, not because you have a consistent style doesn't mean that you're always painting the same painting. Yeah, exactly. Like think of Alison Gray's secret writing. I mean, all her paintings have secret writing or almost all of them and they're all different. So like that's kind of a challenge as an artist to maintain your style but keep it fresh. 
Right. And that's a big part of what I like about it. Right. I like Allison's style because it always seems like she introduces a new element in every painting. It's like, okay, this time I'm going to invert the colors, and this one I'm going to mix this and that. So I would see a parallel between Alison Gray's work and your work because she's got freestyle. She's got chaos, she's got order, and then she's got the secret writing. I would see, say that your mandalas are like the order, and the video game style is like your chaos. Because like the video game style is almost like you grab pieces of your mandala, but you just sprinkle them around in a random kind of way where if you order them, you could actually make a mandala from of that. Yeah, I suppose. Uh. I mean, I kind of like, I don't think of them as connected to my mandalas at all. But I mean, I... But there's color combinations, there's elements, there's, there's, there's a just no there. There's just no symmetry. Right. To me, a mandala is all about symmetry, and, like, I wanted to get away from that. I wanted to get away, uh, like, uh, when I create a mandala, it's more about discipline. Like, the discipline of, okay, once I create the pattern, which is relatively quick, then I have to color it in, then I have to do the outline again, then add details on top of it. It's a long process, and it requires discipline. This new style is really more about having fun mm -hmm. and just like bang, 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 bang. So awesome! Look, I got something new done. Because <laughs> so that that feeling for me is what it's all about. When I finish a painting, I get a fucking rush that's better than doing cocaine or alcohol <laughs> or anything. And the more often I have that feeling, the better. Snort that painting, bruh. Snort <laughs> it. Um, so you're not gonna do mandalas anymore? I might, but in a new and new and improved way. I always felt your mandalas were very spiritual though, because it almost like you felt like you were channeling it, where like you didn't know what you're doing at all. And you, as you said, you start from the nexus point, the middle, and then you expand out and repeat. But it's always like you're just going without rulers, without measurements. You're just kind of like going, free, free handing it, and then something happens. So it's almost like you're channeling nothingness into somethingness. What's very interesting to me is my new style of art, a lot of people react to very spiritually as well. Okay. A lot of people tell me it makes them think of Native American art or Navajo art or in like Bali, Indonesia kind of things. Um, so the fact that people still resonate with my new style of art on a spiritual level encourages me to keep doing it. Nice. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? No, I'm, 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 I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess I would say spiritual. Like, Your spirit. I don't know how to explain it. I have, uh, when I was uh, 19, I had a near-death experience. I went into the light. Um, I saw, like, from God's point of view, every individual is like a beautiful flower, a mandala. And there's nothing you could ever do in your life for God to look at you as, like, a shitty flower every single flower is beautiful mm -hmm. in god's eyes beautiful because, so like that's kind of the way that i that's my belief system i guess right so it's not really attached to any culture or religion it's just like the sense that we're all spirit manifesting through physicality mm -hmm. and it's all beautiful did it help you uh love yourself more uh, seeing yourself as this flower of life um yeah that's a no like yeah it did but it was I don't even know how to explain it. It was like I wasn't a religious or spiritual person at all before. And uh, it, it changed me on a pretty deep way. But it's not something I think about a lot. It's just in the background. And you're a psychedelic person too, right? I was. You, you don't take psychedelics anymore? Very rarely and never high doses. Like I might microdose some mushrooms now and then, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. And what psychedelics have you used before that kind of like made some breakthroughs? <laughs> I did a lot of acid, but I don't think any of them really had breakthroughs. In my case, using psychedelics was much more a manifestation of my drug addiction than of any spiritual wisdom. Mm -hmm. So what about that time you were in my place and you did, uh, you smoked that thing. What, what? Salvia? Salvia, yeah. How was that? Because you came back out being all, oh my God, I went to some tunnel, or that was very special. And right after, I did some rapé and I threw up. And I never throw up on rapé. But something, that, some vibe you had brought down from that world affected me and I started throwing up a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which which kind of reminded me of the times when you were my client and you would come to my house and get me drunk and then I end up throwing up from the alcohol. <laughs> well, like, uh, I, I barely remember that uh, selfie. It doesn't last long. But uh, 
like yeah i've done I, I that was the only time i've done salvia in years uh-huh interesting like, tell me about your selection of acrylics i always fight you about this because in my in my workshops i'm always telling my students like hey buy the best acrylics possible some high grade situation but a lot of people start their careers and they buy this really cheap acrylic that you can buy at a dollar store for a couple uh, bucks and that's how you, you start. You cannot buy the paint I use at the dollar store. The paint company that makes the paint that I buy has a lower end brand that you can buy at the dollar store. <laughs> Don't get mad. The brand <laughs> I buy is not available at the dollar store. However, it is available almost worldwide. Like I said, when I started painting, I live in Costa Rica and I was poor. I could not afford $20 tubes of paint. Right. I'm not, so, I'm not, I'm not judging you for it. What, so what I was bringing up main, is like you, you stuck with it. I stuck with it because by the time I moved back to Canada, I had 80 colors of this paint. Why am I going to start building up a new brand of paint that works differently than the paint I'm already very used to? And the paint I use has over 200 colors available right out of the bottle, so I don't need to worry about mixing colors. And uh, honestly, I've seen pictures of Alex Gray's studio where he has bottles of that paint on his paint rack. So I don't feel guilty using it at all. They got, I use some. It's, it's Americana, right? Yes. Yeah. I actually... Shh. Oh, what? Well, it's your secret, your secret weapon? Uh, I actually was just... At no, before... I just don't know if Alex wants it. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he, he cares. He's not like... Um, but before coming here, I stopped at Michael's just a block away and I bought a bunch that I want to take to Peru so that in Peru, in my, in my farm with my parents, I just have a stash of acrylics and uh, may I run out of paints or not, I will always have that stash of American because they're so cheap. They were like, what, two, three buck, bu bucks a bottle. So I yeah. bought like all the colors, cost me like 70 bucks. And now I'm stocked up to have paints for like a year. Plus, new color combinations will be fun. And I, I always thought, like, if it's good enough for Adam, it's good enough for me. I'm always <laughs> down to try new things. Well, like, there's also another side of it. Um, I'm a big fan of, like, helping uh, up-and-coming artists learn a little bit about the business side of it. And if you're going to be running a business, cutting your costs down is important. So if you can create beautiful art with paint that costs $2 instead of $20, do it. If you can create paint with dollar store paintbrushes instead of $20 paintbrushes, do it. If you can buy canvas that's cheaper because it's on sale two for one, do it. Like, at the end of the day, most people who buy art don't give a fuck. Most people who buy art are not artists. They buy art because they look at artists as magical creatures and they want a piece of that magic. So they don't know the difference if you use $2 paint or $20 paint. Right. Only people that notice that are other artists. As long as it And looks even good. then, a lot of them don't notice. Mm -hmm. So I would say you have like a lot of good uh, art tips for young artists. And you even had your podcast recently, Arty Time. Uh, what happened to that? How many episodes you guys, you guys I did? I think we ended up with 30 episodes. Yeah, no, it, was a, it was a podcast that Adam did with Germ D, who uh, both knew me. And then eventually, and they both live in the South Shore of Montreal. So they're in the same neighborhood. And they both smoke weed, or they both did at least. And finally got together, and they became great friends, and then they did this podcast. Uh, but it's just run its course? Uh, long story short, Germ started calling me a sheep, and because I didn't want to go down the Q rabbit hole, and I didn't think that Bill Gates was trying to put microchips in people. So... You're not aligned in your political aligned. views. Yeah, it's not even the political views. It's if you're going to be my friend and sit here and call me a sheep in my own house, you're not going to be my friend anymore. Period. Okay. Well, I hope that you guys become friends at some point and you can meet <laughs> eye to eye. But, you know, I'm detached from whatever dance there is. But too bad that the, the podcast didn't continue. But I think you guys did good things, bringing good knowledge to Well, part artists. of it was like Jerm wanted to turn the podcast into a conspiracy theory podcast. And I wanted to keep it an art podcast. And like, anyway. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the lines bleed. Like depending on the uh, guest I will have. Uh, say like my last, uh, you know, one of my last uh, interviewees was Sake. And I'm trying to get into bombing and, and graffiti culture. And he kept on coming back into, uh, you know the Illuminati and the powers that be that are trying to fuck us over, which I agree and I, I think it's important that we talk about it so we don't end up in a dark future. 
But, you know, we also don't want to think about that all the time because then I we're empowering. I think what empowering... you focus on is what manifests. So right. if all these people are focusing on these bad things, then they're going to keep manifesting more of these bad things. And I don't want to hang around with people who are manifesting those bad things. So, period. Well, once again, it's a fine dance between knowing what's happening but not being sunken down into emotion so strongly that that emotion's actually empowering. But that's what that I think. Future. Like, if, if you really believe all this stuff is going on and you don't let it, your emotions take over, then you're a psychopath. If you really think there's this huge pedophile ring and it doesn't drive you fucking nuts and make you angry, then I think you're a psychopath. Wow. I believe it exists, <laughs> and I'm not mad. If anything, I have compassion for people who are so sick that would do such bad things and are doing such things. But if anything, they're sick. I feel compassion for these bad people. I hope that they wake up and they stop doing it, as I hope that me and everybody like, else wakes up from when our I bad read this, things. This statistic that you know Germ was throwing around at me that 860,000 kids go missing in the United States each year, and then I looked it up. And I found that 90 more, like only 200 of these kids are taken by strangers. The rest of them are taken by their own family. Now, I have a good friend who went through a breakup and they have, you know, uh, what's it called? The custody of your kid. And they have like a custody arrangement where one week it's here, one week it's there. And the ex-boyfriend of this girl I know um, the kid was supposed to be dropped off at 6 o'clock. If it came to 6.10 and she wasn't there yet because she was stuck in traffic, he called the police and made a missing child report. Mm -hmm. and so, that counts. like, 99.9% .9 of these missing children reports are situations exactly like that. Mm -hmm. So, Well, uh, despite of the unalignment that you and Germ have in your uh, views of the world, um, one of the good things he did bring into your life was uh, the keto diet because you had, uh, what, LBS or something? IBS. Like I had some IBS. really bad health problems, which really sucked. Um, Tell me about the, the change of diet and how it helped you. Um, well, basically, I had IBSD, which meant like I was going to the bathroom 15 times a day. I couldn't absorb nutrients from food. I was always depressed. What is keto diet for those keto who Keto diet know? is eliminating carbs, basically. Um, it's not something I really like to talk about a whole lot, but like... Uh, you don't have to if you don't like, want to, but you can long say... Long story short is uh, I went on keto diet. Germ told me about it. I hadn't really heard of it before. I Googled it with, like, with IBS and found out that there was a lot of people who said it helped them with that situation. So I tried it and it helped me with that situation. Nice. So like, it was good. I felt like I had some energy again. I felt like a, a human again because I was really, really depressed for three years. If you have IBS or colitis or, or like ulcerative colitis, these diseases are all similar. And there's a lot of like side effects outside the physical things that manifest because you're not absorbing nutrients. And if you're not absorbing nutrients from your food, your brain can't make the chemicals that it makes to make you happy. And if you're always lacking those nutrients, you're never going to be happy. So nice. like, well, I'm happy you repaired that and uh, that you took the power, you had the drive to do a new diet, which is challenging because there's a lot of things you can't eat now, which probably you want to eat, but you did it because you But I you don't want to eat them because basically what keto diet does is it eliminates sugar from your diet. Sugar is a white powder that's just as addictive as cocaine and we all get hooked on it when we're little kids. Mm -hmm. So most people, when you suggest they cut sugar out of their diet, whoa, no, no, I could never do that. Ooh, you mean I can't eat candy? I can't eat fruit? I can't even eat bread? So, okay. But then you're shitting. But then you're still addicted to sugar and you're still going to crave it. But once it was out of my diet for two weeks, whoa, all of a sudden I wasn't craving all these things that people think I want to eat. It's mm -hmm. like, no, I don't want to eat them. I'm not craving them. Mm-hmm. Nice. So it's a liberation. It was big time liberation, yeah. No, you felt better, you lost weight. Now I pay for it. If I eat one of those sugary things, like my body goes out of ketosis, uh, which is like a state where your body uses fat for energy instead of sugar. So if I go out of ketosis and then go back into it, it's like a two-day, three-day hangover. It really feels the same as an alcohol hangover. So I just don't even go down that road because then not only do I feel like shit for three days, I'm also craving sugar again. Nice. Well, congratulations on taking control over your, your health and your, and your life situation. Yeah, so having the knowledge of 
how not to go back to alcohol really, really helped with that. Right. Like knowing that it's the first one that causes the domino effect. If I don't have the first one, don't have the cravings, don't have the problem. Right. That's the, the key to uh, eliminate uh, an addiction, right? Yeah, any addiction. Don't take that first beer and you should be fine. Mm -hmm. Adam just got his jacket on. It's getting kind of chilly out here. Yeah, the sun's going behind the house next door. It's not shining on me anymore. Oh, <laughs> chilly, chilly, chilly. Um, tell me a little about your music. You also like to play guitar and bass. It's, uh, it's another artistic, spiritual expression of yours, but it's different from art, right? Yes and no. I mean, I've been playing guitar for a lot longer than I've been painting. Uh, I've been playing guitar longer than Jimi Hendrix was alive. So um, for me, guitar is like, it's something I can pick up and just get lost in. And it's something that I don't really want to put out there because... You're not trying to sell yourself as a guitarist. Yeah, but also because I don't want it to ever get to the point where I feel stress around it, like I did with my art career where it was like got stressful and trying to reach people and get the content out there. I don't want my music to ever become that. My music is my meditation where I can like chill from all that. Right. Just do it for the pure joy of expression. Yeah. Nice. Well, I hope that you'll play a song for us for the ending of this show. So people enjoy your, your, it's, it's like, it's always like a freestyle, right? You never, yeah, really I, write I always anything. improvise. I have a looper. I don't write songs. I never play the same thing twice. It's a, uh, I just pick up and go, and uh, that's what I love about it. It, 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 really, it is connected to my art in, in that sense, that it's like always improvised and I don't plan things out first, I just go. So like there is a little bit of similarity in that sense, but um, music has just always been something that I've loved. It just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an escape from reality for a while, or, or a different reality for a while. Do you think it's a way to channel spirit? Sure, it can be. Mm -hmm. yeah. Especially when you're freestyling and you don't know what's happening and you just go with it. Mm -hmm. You might just find what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, def definitely, like, am I ch channeling a spirit or an entity or whatever? Or am I just channeling my higher self? I don't know. Like, I don't really want to put labels on it like that. I just want to do it. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So what's next for you and your art career? I know you got some projects that you're trying to keep under, under in the box for now, but mm -hmm. uh, what's, what's your, the new, your new direction? You start painting these like shaped clocks or like you're tr always trying new things, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, I've been, ha I found a woodworker who makes these really cool whimsical things. Who's pretty local here. And uh, I bought a few things from him, which is another thing that having the job allowed me to do because I wouldn't invest a bunch of money to buy a little clock to paint when it's 10 times more expensive than a canvas is. But now I don't mind doing that because it's something super unique and different. Um, so yeah, I'm painting a few of those things right now. Um, like I uh, mainly just want to keep painting my new style now. I have another thing I'm working on with my mandalas, but there's other people involved in the project that I'm waiting on. That part's out of my control. So Some technological stuff. Yeah. Engineering and such. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> That's where the AI will help you. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be AI, but it'll help me for sure. <laughs> so, is, like, I don't want to talk a lot about that because it's, like... It, it, we'll keep it secret. Yeah, it's keep all it good. a secret. Niceness. So, we're coming to the end of our show. Uh, is there any, like, words of wisdom that you'd like to share with young artists or just humans in general? Like, uh, you know, some, you know... Well, I think, like, what I want to say mostly is, like, if you're out there and you're watching this and you want to become a career artist, one of the best things you can do is buy art from other artists because then you're going to learn what it's like to be on the other side of the coin. And you're going to learn a lot about what it takes to sell art if you're buying art. Beautiful. And thank you so much for the years that you supported me uh, doing my art. I've ended up buying your art eventually the circle goes well that around. that's another reason why if you buy art from artists like and then you ask them from advice later they're going to be way more likely to give you advice and give you a few minutes of their time than if you just message them without ever having bought art like hey man can you tell me how you became an artist mm -hmm. sorry dude i get like 500 of these messages a day watch the podcast but if I bought nine paintings from you and I'm like, hey, Chris, can you give me some advice? You'll probably take your time and help me out.
Yeah, well, we've become friends with the years. You know, I don't put a wall between like, you're my client, give me your money, now leave me alone. There's no hard emotion or friendship. We've become friends. Well, and, that's you know? the thing is when you buy art from artists, you sort of become friends. <laughs> yeah, which is a beautiful thing. And then we influence each other, we grow, and we keep on seeing each other throughout the years. So thank you so much for being there in my life, for teaching me, and for doing this podcast with me. It was really fun. Uh, it's great to share your story. Uh, as I told you earlier today, like doing that this podcast uh, came to my mind one day when Adam this summer came over my place and we we're painting and we we're talking. And I was like, man, you got such a beautiful story and I really want to share it with my, my audience. But for that, I would need to do a podcast. And more and more, this idea of doing a podcast, sharing my friends uh, kept brewing in my head and you know, finally, we're doing the episode with you. And when you told me we couldn't come to your studio and film it because of your neighbor, I was like, oh, no, I really want you to be one of the first people in the first uh, episodes of the show. So thank you for manifesting this with me, even though we got cold fingers. Yeah, I'm But freezing. at least the lighting is beautiful, <laughs> better than some dark uh, situation or, or studio. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends. If you liked the episode, please like it. And, you know, you can also subscribe or share it. Please give us some momentum so more people can see it and hear about all these beautiful artists I'd like to share with you. So, one love. I'll see you next week. Blessings. Peace. Peace. Next week, my guest will be Jason Botkin. What happens when you stick a bunch of artists, each from well-known crews and cliques and, 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 and avenues of art, each with some sort of notoriety on their own, into a room at the same time and you get them to collaborate? And, and do you have to set some rules? And one of the rules we came on pretty early was like black and white. Realizing the way you use color is totally different than the way that the next person does. So make sure to subscribe, like, and everything else. Big thanks, and see you next week. Peace! <laughs>